Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would uh, grant us your mercy and grace, help us to understand your word. Lord, we rejoice in all of your good gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I want to start with this this morning, and that is to say that uh, we are, uh, make sure it's on silent here, um, that we are um, down to this week and next. When we get to Advent, we'll, we'll shift. And of course, you're going to say, Pastor Dan, how are you going to exegete the whole Bible for us in the next two Sunday schools? And the answer to that question is, I'm not. Right. What, what we're going to try to do here in the closing weeks at this point <coughs> um, is uh, remind us of a few things. Next week we'll spend some time about what are the implications of what we've been talking about. We will certainly come back to uh, these types of issues as it relates to how do we consider the scriptures and prophecy. Um, I, I do want to recommend this to you. I know we've talked about it before. I have a few more copies up here. Um, it's uh, The Vindication of Jesus Christ. It's a brief reader's guide for Revelation. Uh, can be helpful on that as well. Um, over the months, I know when we started this class, I had a pile of books up here for people to look at. And over the months that we've been doing this, um, through uh, stuff that different folks have pointed out, additional research that I've done, I've, I've added quite a few other good resource material if you, you want to get in. Um, really deep. I, I want to say this. It's very important with prophecy to keep it in perspective. Okay? Um, sometimes we can make prophecy and searching out those things in the scriptures as the absolute focus of our Christian life. And I want to encourage you not to do that. I want it to be part of your Bible study. I want it to help focus you in the uh, Varying things that you would uh, that uh, that you consider as you consider how to live as a Christian, uh, but you only have so much bandwidth. Um, I can uh, speak to the mothers in the room. Um, you know, this is an easy illustration, and that is to simply say, from a bandwidth perspective, how much can you possibly think about in a day? What what all is involved? How much time should you be thinking about things? So solving all of the great uh, prophetic mysteries of the scriptures um, is something to, to spend some time on, but when you're considering bringing up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you want to say, how does, how does prophecy fit into uh, that? How do I view the world and, and our role in it? Um, and then say, how do I apply that? Um, but to, to solve all those questions and answers and, and make that the focus of your Christian life is unwise. Um, so what we're going to attempt to do this morning is I'm borrowing a title from uh, Gary DeMar called Clearing the Chessboard. Um, if, if I were to uh, say um, to folks here today, um, how has the Sunday School series been going? I would suggest I would think that what we would probably get is there there is new information on the table considering the questions of prophecy that I might not have heard before. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah. Right. So different things um, as far as that goes, and so 
I said this very early on, and I want us to take this perspective. We always want to use, whether we're talking about any portion of Scripture, but including prophecy to, to consider God's Word as the interpretive force in it. In other words, symbolism, excuse me, symbolism and typology in the Scriptures should inform us not just in what we might call standard or non-prophetic um, passages, but they should inform us in all passages, including prophecy, right? We don't have one standard of understanding and studying and exegeting God's Word and uh, a different standard for uh, the prophetic books. It's one standard, and that is God's Word informs us um, in other passages of Scripture. So I want to say to you this morning, um, again, what, what I'm going to attempt to do, we're going to do um, hit some, some verses, do a little bit of discussion on them, but we're trying to clear the chessboard. So can, uh, can someone out there define for me what a presupposition is? I know that's a big word. I hate to use it, but it's helpful. Yes? Underlying. Underlying assumptions. Who here has underlying assumptions about life in the world? Raise your hand. Should be everybody in the room. But put both hands up. Right? If you had another set of arms, put those up. All right. What, what, do we, what, what causes that? Anyone? What causes our underlying assumptions? The fact that we're not eternal. The fact that we're not eternal, so we're finite. Okay. What else? How we grew up. How we grew up. Okay, so in, in when we talk about how we grew up, what, what would that include? Get, throw out some things. Culture. Culture. School. I'm sorry? School. School. Which language we speak. Which language we speak, okay? Society. Society. I can't hear you. Religious upbringing. Religious upbringing. Family life. Family life. Yes. God's law that's written on our hearts. God's <laughs> law that's written on our hearts. Right? Romans 1. So, so, um, I want to talk about that. Jonathan brought up um, family life. Um, have you ever thought to yourself, and let's be honest here, I won't ask anyone to raise your hand on this, but have you ever thought, I don't want to be like my parents or parents, like my father or my mother. Have you ever thought that to yourself? <laughs> right? Okay. Even if they were pretty good, you probably had some thoughts about that. I'm not going to emulate that. As you've gotten older, how often have you looked at yourself and your patterns of life and have said, oops, I'm acting just like them, right? Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, right? What, what? Right, so, but, the, but these are, that's right. But, but these are, these play a role into, we, we are uh, impacted by the world around us, um, by who we read, what we study, who your pastors have been, um, you know, what their views are. Those all have impacts on us, right? Um, and so those, those run in. And of course, we could go into that deeply, but when I'm talking about today clearing the chessboard, I want to suggest to you that I want to be clear because the, the popular notions of the things of 
the end of the world and the eschatology or just the, the, the biblical understanding of what happens uh, in life and what the end of all things are. Um, there's a lot of the popular ideologies and teachings on this. Um, often, you know, that's not, um, that's not always coming from the scriptures. I think it's important, like, if we're going to say that this subject is a chess game, what we ought to do is say, okay, I know I've heard a lot of things, I've learned a lot of things, let me be wise and prudent, let me take all the pieces off the board and say, if, if I want to study this well, let's take the pieces off the board, right, and let's reset the board so that we have a, we, we can be, do an honest uh, look at this. And, and of course, what, what, do we, what do we have tendencies to do? If we grew up in a particular uh, mindset, we, we often want to protect it. And I'm not saying disregard everything. I want to say, let us look at the scriptures. Let us look at the context of the scriptures. Let us understand there's one story, one narrative from Genesis to Revelation going on there. And... Um, Let's try to approach the scripture in that way. And that, of course, takes all of us. And so what I, what I want to do, again, just talking about clearing the chessboard and what our long-term goals are here, is I want us to continue the conversations amongst one another. Uh, we'll do it in Sunday school as well. Um, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, you guys know that I've, I, uh, among, I hold Jim Jordan among, uh, you know, some of the, the best theologians that I know, and um, he has 144 hours just on the book of Revelation, going through it verse by verse. You know, if we try to do that in Sunday school, that's 144 Sundays, um, if that's all we did. But I don't, but again, I don't want that to become our focus, because I want us to also talk about understanding all of God's word and, and how we should rightly live. And those, of course, Revelation and other prophetic passages do play a role in how we view these things. But I'm trying to help get us into the right mindset and then say, okay, um, let's, let's take the scriptures and look at that. So, um, a, a, so we're going to just pop through here. So here we go. I would like someone to look at Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 2. Who can read that for me? Sam? Okay, so here is an example. Um, you know, Ezekiel 37 through 39 is a passage that uh, it's the passage uh, nicknamed "Dry Bones," right? Um, and God bringing and establishing um, Israel, bringing life to it. And this is a passage that is frequently used to look at uh, or in consideration of um, end things. And you've heard. I don't know if, if you heard any of this uh, out there in the religious world, but following Russia's involvement, excuse me, in an invasion of Ukraine, there were uh, discussions about uh, the prince of Rosh, or Rosh, okay? And that that's Russia, and, you know, this is playing, this is bringing in uh, 
This is bringing in the end times, the end things. This is the kickoff. Um, and if you've been alive for any amount of time, uh, folks that hold to that kind of position, every time Russia's done anything over the last 50 years, there's been a lot of, oh, look, this is, this is kicking it all off. Um, this word rosh, uh, this Hebrew word here, is the Hebrew word for head or chief. Yes? I'm sorry. Uh, ESV at least has meshech in place of rosh has a footnote or Roche. Is that a textual variant? Or do you know? I don't know if it's a textual variant, but... Those are pretty dissimilar. Well, and I think because what I'm about to tell you okay. plays a role in that is that this word means head or chief, okay. right? So it says the, the prince of Roche, or basically the head chief is what we're saying here. Um, if you look throughout scriptures, it is understood throughout the Old Testament that this word uh, Rosh is used 600 times and is understand, understood as the chief. As a matter of fact, if you go and you look at, uh, uh, I guess Netanyahu's back in as uh, prime minister, is that right, in Israel? Um, if you go there, there's up on the wall, it actually says uh, Rosh on, on the, the little the podium or the, the little wooden seal there because that means he's the chief. He's the head of. But in 600 times, it's about the chief. It's not about, um, it's not about a particular place. Um, the, the, if, uh, th there's a, a, a very interesting correlation where you can look at this, and we can get into this more, and I can provide more materials later if you're interested. Um, but, but you can make a pretty good case that what's happening in Ezekiel is tied to the book of Esther. Okay, Haman, if you look in Esther, Haman is uh, an agite. He's agagite? agagite, yes, I'm sorry. Typo this morning. Agagite. The, the spell check doesn't know what to do with all these <laughs> biblical names. Um, <clears throat> so an agagite uh, that is uh, from, from Gog. And if you, if you look in Ezekiel chapter 4, um, you, see, you see that uh, one, of the, one of the things that, uh, that the people that are returning in, uh, you know, that will happen in Ezekiel is that they're going to come out, they're going to be restored, they're going to bring in gold, silver, goods, and cattle. And if we look at the restoration of all things, um, when the exiles return in Ezra chapter 1, verse 4, um, somebody read that for me. Ezra chapter 1, verse 4. So I could never tell if people are looking it up on their phones or if they're playing, uh, you know, Angry Birds. And let each uh, survivor in whatever place he There's also references uh, in uh, walls and unwalled cities in uh, Ezekiel, and you see that in, in Ezra and the restoration of things. Um, coming back real quick, if, if you look at what, what happens in Esther and Haman, he's the last of the Agagites. And, and of course, do you, do you remember how this plays out in Samuel? Anybody remember that story? What happens with Saul and Samuel? 
and what's that? He did. Right, so, so Saul doesn't obey God, and actually we see that Haman is, is uh, descended from this line of kings. And so really, the story in Esther, Haman's hey, hey big burr is he wants to get rid of the Israelites because they wiped out his family. He's the last one, and he really wants to go after them. So that kind of, of plays out. And, and again, the, the point is, is, as you come into... Um, Ezra and Nehemiah, and, and again, Esther being in the same time period, um, and you see how God uses the Persian, uh, the Persian emperor to uh, rebuild God's house and to act as a protector. Um, these are connected, and it's really important for us uh, to consider that. Um, if, if, we, if we consider all of this section, uh, we need to remember... Um, the, not only the, the historical story that's going on, uh, but also uh, symbolisms. So when we see places like Babylon, Sodom, Egypt, or even Jezebel, we know that those are real places, historical places, but they're also symbolic, right? So we, we find ourselves, whether we're considering what's happening in Revelation 20, where it mentions, um, you know, the, these different places are all through revelations, these different places, they hold symbolism. After all, you see Jesus talks about Sodom, doesn't he? Sodom and Gomorrah. And is he talking to them just about a historical place, or is it symbolic in its labeling? Anybody? And? And symbolic. So it's both, right? So when we get to, to if Jesus is doing that, Right, and we get to Revelation, and we see that that uh, <clears throat> these are not just about historical places and places today, but they're also um, they speak to the symbolic use of them. Um, so, if if you have Babylon in uh, in Revelation, what what is that re- referring to? Is it the historical place alone, or is there something going on there? So that's Babel. So Babylon. That's right. So yeah, Babylon, I think, tried to take on the mantle of being the successor to Babel, but it, I, I don't believe there there was much continuity in, but. It, it was in the same geographical area, but I mean, it was like I think a couple thousand years later, so and unrelated. There was no continuity in governance. But yeah. So, so we we see that God uses uh, Babylon as representative of the. If, if you look in the Book of Daniel, and it talks about Babylon and per, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks and the Romans, those are all symbolized there, and He speaks to those. They become the Gentile protectors of Israel. And, of course, we're going to see that um, they, they become corrupt um, over time. They don't always do that well, but God uses them both as discipline and as protectors uh, in that way. Um, you know, so we, we just need to, to understand um, and, think, and think through 
um, the, the connections. And of course, this, this is challenging, right? Because so far in the last seven or eight minutes, how much of, of Israel's history did we talk about? A bunch. Putting together the, all these pieces. Uh, I'm, Telling me Adam and Eve were not Jewish? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm joshing with you. <laughs> 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 I'm actually shutting her down. So, <laughs> so part of what I'm trying to drive at here is we need to be, we, we, first of all, we've talked about this before, do not take newspapers, media, things in the news, and try to use those as interpretive tools on the scriptures. That's rule number one in this, right? But really that's rule number two, because rule number one is what? Use the Bible to interpret the Bible. One of the things that, that modern literary... Um, study has done is it, and it, it does this uh, to the Bible all the time but it does it to other texts as well um, is that it, it tries to divide it up and, and show uh, discontinuity particularly as it relates to the Bible you know you have 66 books written over several thousand years by more than 40 authors um, they're all disconnected um, they have some sort of loose connection somewhere and, and they, they, they don't see it as God's word. I mean, that's the first problem. And sometimes, as Christians, we can approach it this way, partially. Why? Because we're, we're going to schools that are teaching that's how you approach uh, literature. That's how you approach ancient texts. And Yes, sir? Oh, well, no, please. please. Uh, so I, I just taking it back to presuppositions. So would you call the necessity of interpreting scripture by scripture as itself a presupposition? Well, I, I would think so. So that does not arise from scripture? That's just something that you know is true presuppositionally? No, how, if you were to say, that's a great question, so if you were to think that out, what would be your response to that? How do we know that scripture um, is uh, should it be interpreted and how, how it instructs us. How would we think that out? Well, Saiten Brugenkate's answer is God makes me know that. <laughs> but that, that kind of, I mean, it, it, it will wind up in circular logic if, if you run that to ground, but that, that's where the gift of faith comes in. That, but, uh, sure. Um, There's a verse that says all scripture is given by God. Mm -hmm. that, that's somewhat where I was driving at, but I think you can you can look through all kinds of places. You can see it all over the Psalms, and 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 no doubt, um, yes. If you just want to apply um, logic and reason, which is is uh, faulty because of what? All right, right. We're, no we're, we're, we're right. We're finite, right? The you know sin. Um, and, it, and this is why, what do we do before we have Sunday school or what do we do before 
we do our book studies or Bible studies or before church, what are we doing? Right, we ask, we ask for God to open up our eyes, unstop our ears, help us to see and understand. Um, so yes, the supernatural is involved here, but I just, we, I want us to understand that, that the scriptures are, um, there is one story, and we, like, like before today, has anybody here heard any discussion before suggesting that Ezekiel and Esther are connected? Well, I knew you would. Right, okay, and and why and 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 where had you come across this, Joel? No idea. You have no idea. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought I thought maybe it's because you and Jonathan yeah. were right, and, and and Jonathan and I have had had a lot of similar teachings. Yes. Yeah, Gary Demar in his podcast, he talked about that also. His one of his books is on Right, and if uh, he's got a new podcast that's on Spotify called Heavy Lifting with Uncle Gary. Um, he was a shot putter in, in college, and anyway, he's just uh, trying to, to share and have discussions um, concerning God's Word and these things. Uh, I certainly do recommend that. Um, <clears throat> I want to uh, touch on a few others. We could discuss Daniel chapter 9. Uh, but we've got 10 minutes, so what I want to do is just highlight a few more things and help us to think through. Um, it's important to recognize that in Daniel chapter 9, just simply this, Daniel is studying the scriptures. He's looking at the book of Jeremiah. He sees that their exile is limited to a particular time frame, and um, he's studying that. He's praying about it. He says, man, it looks like we're at that time, and then there's the whole situation with his visions and um, the angel coming in and, and speaking in there. Uh, but it is about the restoration of the, of the exiles coming out. Um, the, you know, we can look at Zechariah 14 where it talks about Christ coming and putting his uh, feet on Mount Olives, on the Mount of Olives, right? And that is, um, that is a complicated passage in general. But I just want to point out to you that... Uh, when we get to Matthew and we see the 23 through 25 passages, where is he? Mount of Olives, right? Um, and so um, I, I'll just say that when you know Jesus did in fact stand on the Mount of Olives um, prophetically uh, addressing these questions, and then in Matthew uh, 21, uh, verse 45. Can someone read that for me, please? Matthew 21, verse 45. 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about death. Who, so Jesus is talking about all of these prophetic things. He's talking about them. He says, you, you, you. And 2145 says, read it again. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Okay. So here we see right in the text of Matthew that, that it says that they understood these things to be judgments against them. 
And unfortunately, they didn't take the way of humility, did they? Right? They didn't say, wow, we need to draw back and, uh, and repent. Right? Instead, they hardened their hearts and pushed all the harder to have Jesus put to death. Um, <clears throat> Matthew 22, uh, verse 7. Um, somebody read that for me. So um, that's attached to, the, to uh, Zechariah 14 where it talks about uh, the burning of the city. And we see that in the parable that Jesus is telling there uh, <clears throat> that uh, the king comes and sets their city on fire. And again, that's in the context of Jesus speaking to the people of his day, saying you, the chief priests, and those folks, they knew and understood that this was about them. And of course... Uh, Matthew twenty three thirty six. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Okay, so um, this uh, this word here, generation. Again, you look all through Matthew; it always means every single time the people living in that generation. There are. Uh, some uh, Bible teachers who have uh, spoken of or, or translated this word as race, um, this people, um, and it, it doesn't fit the, the biblical understanding of every other place that, that this is being used as generation. Yes? That's probably the strongest evidence you've given to support the use. He didn't give that. That was Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, right. I, I understand what you're saying. And what I'm trying to say is I'm just today, I'm just saying, okay, we're going to just pop in and hit a bunch of verses. And, and if we let these verses inform us, it should at least clear some clutter away for us to think, okay, what then, how then should we approach this? Yes. What's, what's the point that people are trying to make if they translate it as uh, people? Um, so the point is um, that basically... Um, that there's suddenly a, you know, this people isn't, aren't going to pass away, and so, you know, the, the Jewish people will be fully restored. They won't be totally passed away. They don't see the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles becoming one people in the church, right? They see them as divided lines. The continued role of Israel as a set-apart people of yes. God, different, yes. distinct from the church. Yes. Okay, interesting. Yeah. No. No, I don't. I don't hold to two distinct peoples. I, I I hold to one church, one ecclesia. Right? There's one people, and if you look like, just consider what we've been doing in Ephesians, right? Paul Paul is 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 hammering. No more distinctions. No more degrees of separation. One people. One people. One people. Yes. Right. You, you have believers and unbelievers. Those are the only two distinctions. That's, That's right. Excellent. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who divide up the world into two pe- kinds of people and those who don't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. All right, so... Um, well, well, and, and so, yeah, so, so think about this. Where was Jesus when he was preaching salvation and deliverance? That's right. And then, and then the apostles, when they first go out, where are they going? Not yet. That's not where they start. 
good piece of a good piece of Acts starts where? In Israel. So it came to them first, and then it goes out to the Oikumenate, the world, okay? Um, which is not the cosmos, not all of the world. It's, it's the actual kingdom, um, you could say the, the kingdom of Rome. We could, we could get into that a little further later, but, but we've got just a couple minutes left. I want to hit a couple of more things for you. Um, in, in Matthew 23, verse 37... Um, somebody read that, please. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. And he'll go on and talk about uh, the desolation. And, and we need to understand that, that at that time, um, Herod was continuing to build the temple. Um, so you have Esau, the false brother, false king, because that you know Herod was an Edomite, uh, and he's building the temple of God, and he's doing it for his glory. He's building this great structure, and he does all this. And um, in the beginning, excuse me, just Israel is persecuting the Christians, right? You look in Acts, it's it's Israel, it's it's the the leaders of Israel that are persecuting the Christians. Uh, and it's not until uh, about the time that the temple is completed in the early 60s um, uh, that uh, Rome takes on the role of being a persecutor to the church and brings, and, and that's where the persecution really um, gets going. And this is where, this is the failure of the Gentile empire to protect God's people comes to fruition and brings all this terrible persecution onto God's people. What changed that Rome stopped playing that role? Well, I, I so what changed? Besides the fact that God uh, caused Nero to lose his mind, right? Um, for his purposes of, of, God was bringing this all together. And at the same time, a sense of, of uh, Israel nationalism is rising in Israel at the time. And of course, that's what brings about um, the uh, Jewish rebellion against Rome. This is what brings in the judgment of um, this this protector empire, both uh, against Israel, right? Part of that is God's judgment there. And and remember, it says elsewhere in the scripture that uh, if if the uh, if the tribulation uh, didn't come to an end, even the elect might fall away. Um, this is all how bad. Uh, the Roman Empire becomes at this point because they are uh, all this terrible tribulation onto the people of Israel and Christians, but but it's sort of like they're they're persecuting the Christians, and then over here they're dealing with this rebellion, and God is using all of this. These are the birth pains, that because what comes out of this? The the temple's destroyed, right? In in seventy, um, the the old um, house of God built with these stones made by human hands are destroyed and God births in, right? It's the completion of birthing in the, the, the stones, the people, the believers into the new temple, right? We see that in 1 Peter, right? And so, so all of that just says um, we need to consider that, that, that this is what's happening. This is what we're seeing uh, in, in Revelation, um, and, and remember, at the very beginning of Revelation, he says um, these things which are soon to happen. 
Um, you know, and, and just in case you're, you're concerned, you can consider too um, in, uh, in Matthew 24 where it talks about wars and rumors of wars. By the way, the Roman Empire was in constant conflict all the time. There were battles going on all around them. Um, I'd also point out Jesus talks about how, um, pray that this doesn't happen during winter, and God's instructions are, Jesus' instructions are, you sh all you have to do is flee out of here. You can flee to the mountains. You can get away from this. Um, and, and so there is, uh, it's not a worldwide um, situation. The other thing, it talks about famines, right? There's going to be famines. In Acts chapter 11, we see that there was a famine in the land, right? Um, and earthquakes. Um, well, there was an earthquake at Jesus' death. Um, there's uh, an earthquake when Paul is in jail, and there's other earthquake, earthquakes recorded uh, throughout the Roman Empire all during this time. So all of that is, uh, is, you know, can clearly show and be shown that those are things that, that have happened. I, I simply want to say this in closing. What I want us to do is say, okay, I'm not saying don't believe God, don't believe God's word, but I want you to approach the scriptures by saying, what does God's word teach me? You know, am, am I allowing God's word to inform me on how I look at questions and things, or am I letting um, simply uh, what I've heard be the, be the reason that, uh, that I believe something? Does that kind of make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. Did I not say that well? I don't, I don't quite. What, what I'm saying is don't simply allow what you've always thought about something um, to, to simply inform you. I want you to look at God's word and say, what does God's word say about these things? That's what I'm trying to drive at. Is that more clear? Yeah, I mean, I guess, are, are you here returning to presuppositions? Because at the beginning you were saying presuppositions are good and necessary, but now you're saying throw, you need to get rid of some of them. Sounds like you're making a distinction in presuppositions. That, of course. Okay. And, the, and the answer to that, it, the answer... What's that? What just put any pieces back on the chessboard? All right. Have we put any pieces back on the chessboard? Do we have any fixed points we at this moment? That's right. We 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 cleared what I would say the, the middle of the game, and now we've put the pieces back on by saying, okay, God's word is central. I'm going to allow God's word to inform me before we make any moves. Right now, everything I've said to you today. Let me ask you this question: Is there anything today that that uh, makes you say? Um, you've just attacked my, my, my faith in Christ. Okay. Because that's not the point. The point is to say, l listen, if I were to step away from prophecy and I were to say, I want you to look at God's word and you need to change your thinking about how you approach people or things based off of God's word alone, right? Um, you would agree with me on that, right? You guys would not question that one iota. I just want to say to you, let us do the same thing as it relates to prophecy. Let us consider the whole of God's word. And you know what? You may walk out from, from all of this and say, my mind doesn't change. You didn't. I'm hoping to draw out questions. And I want you to dig down in God's word. I want you to ask me questions. Obviously, we can't handle this here. I want you to decide, hey, this is kind of a, you know, we've left some things. Let's four or five people get together once a month and, you know, let's look at Scripture and see what we can dig up together. 
I, I, part of it is I want to drive you into what does God's word say about these things. All right. Yes, sir. Okay. So it's not focused on Revelation, but you know, like this, what this generation needs and how that could be, you know, how that could actually be the case. Okay. Very good. All right. We're going to go ahead and pray because the kids are getting itchy upstairs. <laughs> our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness that you've given us through your word. Help us to be faithful, humble servants of you, you and your word. And Lord, let us love one another um, and not become impatient as we work through these questions for ourselves and as we share God's word with others. Use us to extend your kingdom. Please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises with us. In Jesus' name, amen.